0: Hello everyone. I think I am now live, so welcome everyone to session three, week three of Meta 511, the Open Metaverse course. Oh, I need to start my slides. Okay. Let me start over. Welcome everyone to session three of Meta 5.11, uh, NFTs and the Metaverse. This week, we're going to talk about PFPs. And this week, we're going to be doing something different than the prior two weeks. And so there'll be a little experimentation as we go along. And what I mean by different in this case is how we're going to pull together the material for this week. Last week, if you remember, Ellie and I and George did a session together, and that was the week session. This week, I'm going to present some material about PFPs today. Uh, yesterday, I recorded a session with Garga Greg Solano from Ugalabs, where we covered a lot of these same topics and in more depth. And that we will play on Thursday and have Q&A on Thursday. And the reason we're holding that back is because in order to have, I think, a good understanding of that session, it's good today to cover some of the more background material because that session um, implies some good understanding of the topic already and then hopefully in the next few days i'll have a similar discussion with punk 4156 where again for that discussion it is useful to have had the context both of today's discussion and the one with garga because in many ways one builds on another on another and so they've actually left some slides at the end of this presentation, the conclusions, unconcluded yet. What I'd like to do is fill them in after we've done all three sessions, fill in the further reading, because I want to incorporate feedback from the other sessions, because we got into some real depth on some of these topics. Topics that we'll cover for a few minutes today, we covered for an hour and a half in the session with garden, So, we'll see exactly how this works. Uh, I think it's a new format for this week, and I think it's going to be the format that we're going to increasingly have the following weeks because the pace of guests is going to pick up. And so we're trying to find the model where we balance what I think is going on with the course audience is We have everyone from extremely sophisticated uh, users of NFTs to people who are new to the space. And so if you're an extremely sophisticated user of NFTs or in the NFT field, you'll probably find some of today's session fairly straightforward and things that are quite obvious to you. On the other hand, what is going to come on Thursday I found super interesting and sophisticated, and I'm, I think, a sophisticated user of NFTs. So, the overall week is going to touch upon, is going to touch upon both basic, intermediate, and advanced issues in one week. And I'd like to stage it and phase it so that, particularly for the folks who are newer, they can pick up some of the basics so they can stay in touch with the discussion that happens in the more advanced discussions with the guests. So I guess I view my job today as giving the groundwork so that everyone, not just our sophisticated students, everyone can get the most out of the more in-depth discussions that are going to happen later in the week. And like everything else, we are learning in progress as we're doing this. So we'll see exactly what works. We'll fine tune it for next week, and then we'll, I think, figure out a good model for the upcoming weeks. There's a lot of interesting guests coming up, and uh, I'm really excited about it. So the other thing we might try today, and I say this with some trepidation, but we don't do the, we don't learn until we try. I'm going to try and do the Q and A in um. So instead of me being here in StreamYard, it's a streaming platform that I'm using to stream into Om. After I finish presenting the slides, I'm going to try and answer the questions directly in Om using Om's audio feature. And the really interesting question is, you know, how, how are we going to manage moderation in that model? You know, we have audio turned off because I think with hundreds of people we could we might lose folks um but we'll see we'll see if we'll do it i think there might also be some issues if people are in different rooms um their messages might get lost so we'll see we'll see how we do this at the end of the session i might be conservative and just handle this week's session once again in the streaming model we'll make it a game time decision at the end of the session so, with that, let me get into the slides. Let me cover some basics. Let's make sure we get everyone on the same page so that we're good for the, today's QA and we're good for later in the week. So, we're in session three. We're going to talk about PFPs. And we're going to put it in three buckets PFPs and virtual identity in general, PFPs in an NFT context, and a few quantitative metrics. This is what I had mentioned earlier today. We have the first session on Thursday at um, method, at one thirty Eastern Time. I think in Eastern Time. So 1.30 New York Time. We're going to do the session uh, with Garga. And we're still working on logistics with 4156. It'll come later. So... Please follow the Unique Metaverse Twitter account. I'll keep you posted with all the logistical details. All right. I'll start with the absolute basics, because I do find that sometimes people who are not in the NFT space, ask, what does PFP mean? And I'm going to laugh here, because I remember when I asked someone that. And I actually DMed a... Someone asked them that question, what does it mean? And they explained it to me, right? Anyway, it means profile picture. Sounds very fancy, but actually just means profile picture. And profile pictures obviously predate NFTs. Profile pictures are a key component of every single social media um, And we see them in different styles I would say the typical I don't think I'm going to surprise anyone here the typical profile picture we'll see on LinkedIn might be different than the typical profile picture we will see on Instagram um, even Bill Gates feels he needs to put on his nice business casual for his profile picture on LinkedIn and I think that's this, as does everyone the and you know what do people use as their profile picture? Well, Absolutely anything. The normal model where I think people used to, what people used to do historically, and still most people do, is they put a picture of themselves, an actual literal picture of themselves. Um, and not, this has nothing to do with NFTs, right? Like if people put a picture of I'm sure everyone in the group here has social media accounts and often has a picture of themselves. And some people put an illustration of themselves. Tyler Hobbs is an amazing generative artist, but his profile picture is an illustration of himself. Uh, Naval is an amazing thinker and investor, and it's a very abstract picture, and some things are not pictures of themselves at all, right? Some people put a picture of something else that's important, a special place, a beach, sometimes their spouse, for children and over the last and it hasn't been very long last one and a half to two years there has been a different thread where people have putting as a PFP an NFT and even here there's kind of two models people who are using an NFT from a collection that is Specifically oriented to be in PFP collection, and then people who are just putting as a PFP an NFT that might just be a piece of uh a piece of art. So it's interesting, right? PFPs even predate the internet. Your high school yearbook has PFPs and. I was thinking about the slides for this session, and I remembered how Facebook started. And Facebook literally started on this concept. Mark Zuckerberg was a sophomore, I think, at Harvard. And Harvard had a Facebook where you could see your classmates, the incoming classmates, and you'd open it and look for their pictures. And he said, well, this is 2004. We have the internet. Why do I have to look at a physical book? Can't I put this online? And over to the right is what early Facebook looked like. see Mark Zuckerberg online as opposed to in print. And you could check out all your classmates. It is fundamental to social media. It is fundamental to how we organize ourselves in social media, because social media is about people. It's about community. It's about identity. And sure, there's a variety of technological platforms that are underlying this. But the human needs are the same. It is... A social media platform without any people in it is absolutely worthless. And I say that, and everyone's gonna say, "Well, that's obvious." But you know, it's not obvious. You know, not all software is like that. Google search engine is very valuable to me. If it was the exact same Google search engine it was, but there wasn't anyone else using it, it's still perfectly valuable. I need to find direction somewhere, I need to look up, uh, find the article from the Crimson in 2004, it was very useful even in a solo usage case. Microsoft Word is very useful even in a solo usage case. Social media is not. Social media is pointless in in the solo usage case. And this is actually an important thought, and it's one we need to keep in mind. The, what the Web2 social media companies have successfully done is tap into core human desires, see their classmates, or their friends, or their family, or people they hope to meet, or people they admire, or people who they think they're interesting, or in some cases, people they dislike. And the social media platform Gives you the mechanism by which you can find them, communicate with them, yell at them online—that's what you like to do—and they're built. Their only value is, in fact, the people who are using them. And in a way, they've been—they've done an excellent job of capturing value that is. Latent and pre existing in humans, and then in some cases, you know, selling it back to you. Right? So, the general model of a social media company is you want to go look at other people's profile picture, right? This is the basic thing, what it is see what Mark is saying, or George is saying, or Kim Kardashian is saying, and that attention, that human attention of yours, is then being partially monetized with certain, certain posts coming in that are advertisements. So, PFPs were interesting at the level of your printed high school uh, yearbook. I think I still have mine somewhere. But nowhere near as interesting as they became when you could take them online. So, they became much more interesting online. And I think we should note, because virtual identities are not only two-dimensional, we have had a long history of avatars. And avatars primarily came out of the gaming world, and they have become progressively more three-dimensional. But started off as fairly two-dimensional as well, you know, 1990s era video games. And had avatars, had characters, you played as a character in that game, and some of those graphics today were, would be viewed as quite low resolution and uninteresting, but it didn't actually matter. They, they, you still became engaged, you still felt you were a football player, American football, or the football player, European football, or the explorer, or the fighter, or the warrior, and you inhabited that identity. Um, even with very basic, not very high resolution, not particularly 3D avatars. Well, as first Moore law, Moore's law, Long's law, Long's law is the version of Moore's law for GPUs, graphic processing unit, units, helped us have more graphic processing capacity, the characters became more complex, more three dimensional, and in time, more customizable. And so there is a gigantic gaming economy based on people having an avatar in some type of game. Here I grabbed the creator module from League of Legends. This happens in dozens of games. And people customize their avatar to reflect what they'd like it to be. And largely, those gaming, um, those gaming economies, are driven by the companies selling you features for your avatar, like a skin, or a piece of clothing, or some object that you carry. And some of these are gigantic businesses. Some of these are multi-billion-dollar a year. Businesses based on this fundamental human need to represent yourself in that context, and that context might be a game or it might feel you could know, call some of those games proto metaverses. And the reality is, for the same reason that in real life we don't all wear the exact same state issued set of khaki pants and state issued white t shirt everyone does not wear the exact same clothing. This appears to be true in virtual worlds, because we're still the same people when we're in virtual worlds. And on the whole, people do not want to just have the exact same avatar as everyone else. And depending on your interest in that world or in that game and in your budget, how much money you have available, and the dynamics, how many customizations you can earn by playing versus buying, you might customize more or less, you might spend more or less, but very obviously the case is that people want to express their identity, want to express their identity, whether it's in 2D or in 3D, whether it's on social media, whether it's in gaming. All of this predates NFTs. None of this was invented in 2021. Arguably, Almost all of the largest technology companies in the world, the social media companies, the gaming companies, I leave aside you know, Google search or Apple that makes hardware, but most of the web two slash gaming companies have this concept at the heart of their model. And one of the things that I find very interesting is there's a lot of pushback from non-NFT people so, oh, I can't believe people using these silly avatars or these silly PFPs. Well, they're paying money for them. What's wrong with them? Why do anyone pay money for them? I mean, they're and some of the largest tech companies in the world. some of the largest gaming companies in the world. are basically with that same concept. Right? And we'll talk later what this means in the NFT context, but this was not invented in 2021. This is key to human nature, it's key to human identity. Human identity will express itself regardless of the exact mechanism by which we interact with others. And that's what we've been seeing with it. So, I keep saying the word identity. To me, that's the most important word in this session. And identity... Mean multiple things. First of all, there's personal identity, and people might feel that they are a certain way. Everyone feels they're a certain way, and they want to express it in a certain way. But I would not look at the parentheses there. I think people can and do have multiple identities. We'll talk about them in a slide or two. But the first form of identity is expressing yourself as an individual. I'm Tyler Hobbes, I view myself in this way, this is how I view myself literally, it is an illustration of Tyler Hobbes, but in a certain artistic style, it reflects something how Tyler thinks about himself, and this is how I'd like to present myself to the world. That's a personal identity. People, of course, don't just have personal identities, they have a wide variety of community identities. You might think of yourself as an Italian. You might think of yourself as a physician. You might think of yourself as a graduate of the University of Alabama. You might think of yourself as a fan of the Chicago Bulls. All of these are Irish communities. Everyone belongs in multiple communities. And people have a long history of also expressing in visual form their commitment to that community. You drive around the American countryside and suburbs, you see a lot of American flags. You go to a football game, a good chunk of the people in the football game in the stadiums, grown adults, have went and bought clothing that reflects the identity of their team. We take this for granted, right, that people will buy a LeBron James shirt. But it's not 100% obvious that that makes sense, right? If you were, if athletic, branded athletic gear didn't exist, and someone came and said, well, we're going to, I'm going to charge people 80 bucks to have LeBron James number on their back when they go to a basketball game. Someone might logical. Oh, come on! You know, who wants to do this? These are grown adults. These are grown adults. Even why would they even want to do this? People do it, and they do it at scale, and it's very common. And you know, if you walk around American university campuses, which I think probably have done the best job among universities, identity. There are days you walk around a campus in the SEC and a third of the student population is wearing some type of gear. You're related to the identity of that community identify By the way, I'm saying all these things, don't read this there's anything wrong with it. I think it's perfectly normal. I think this is how humans are organized. Humans like to belong to groups, all the groups, call them tribes. Right? It's, it's fundamental to our nature. And it's cross-technology, it's cross-modality, it's something fundamental to human nature. And then I think the third one, which might be a little bit more abstract, a little bit more sophisticated, but I do think it exists. Let's call it branding, let's call it recall. Having symbols, symbolic thinking, memetic thinking, is easier to remember. Every single person can visualize instantly the Nike swoosh. If I ask you to visualize the face of the CEO of Nike, I bet almost nobody can. And this is why Nike shoes always come with a swoosh, as do Nike t-shirts, as do Nike ads, And they never come with the face of the current CEO of Nike. Partially, it's because, you know, that's because the CEOs change. changed. That's part of it. That's not the whole part of it. Uh, The main part of it is that logos condense information. Good logos are simple. A picture of the CEO of Nike is very rich. It's very detailed. It contains a lot of information. It's hard to remember. The swoosh is very simple. It's easy to remember. And there is something like this going on with PFPs. Um, a CryptoPunk PFP is lower resolution than the average LinkedIn photograph. And in some ways, in some capacity, some people are going to say, well, there's a lot of them, they look the same. You know, there's 200-something hoodie punks, they all look the same, but that might be true. But there's also, like, you know, several tens of millions of people in their office, casual, business casual on LinkedIn, and they all kind of look the same, too. So I think there's something about the distillation of information that happens with this that is part of this. this. is a more sophisticated point. Everyone will naturally understand personal identity and the community belonging. But I think there's part of this, and I think this drives part of this. I think it's why community belonging tends to rally around some. Right? It doesn't tend to rally around individuals on the whole. And I mean, this is PFPs send a message not only about the individual and their values happening with Bethany, but also the values of the broader community, right? So this is someone who reflects both some personal values and the values of the surfing community. Now, I mentioned identities plural, and I'm going to come back to identities plural. Everyone has multiple identities. Everyone plays multiple roles in society. You are a scientist, and a mother, and a golfer, and a Roman Catholic, and a lover of obscure sashimi. All of those are part of your identity and your personality. And some people, many people, blend them together. Here is me, a rich tapestry of a person, I'm very interested in, i do science experiment, sorry, um, eat sashimi from obscure waters of New Zealand. And that's absolutely fine, right? Those are people who, and many people, none of these what I'm gonna say is good or bad, there's different ways people express it. People will express it as one identity. But other people, in fact, I think probably more people separate those a little. And then it might be because of practical reasons, but it also might be for other reasons. So it's very common uh, that people use different PFPs on different social media platforms. On LinkedIn, where and then we'll discuss the practical reason, but right? on LinkedIn, you might have your serious photo. And that photo, is there to demonstrate to a recruiter or future employer that you're kind of a serious professional you're going to come to work and do a good job. But on Instagram, where maybe you're really only targeting it to your friends or broader community, you might have a more fun photo. And on Match.com, you might have a more sexy photo because there you're trying to attract a partner, and you want to send a different message. This is called a practical reason. But there might also be not exactly practical reason, not that you're worried that your boss is going to see the on vacation, not that type of But ways that you can express one identity more fully if you're not mixing it with another identity. So let's say you are, it's in the 1990s, you're heavy into the bulletin boards of, know, um, Doom. Doom was a video game back then, you could mod it and have a big user community. And let's say you were a, a doctor. And this is what you did to blow off steam. You designed custom Doom boards, you went around shooting rockets at monsters, whatever in that world, the things that are interesting in that world, the things that people are going to care about in that world, will be topics like you know, your map, and your monster, and your character, and what have you. And the fact that you're a GP and you saw 23 patients today and they told you about their sore throat and their flu or what have you, it's not that interesting. It's not relevant to that context. And you wouldn't be as effective necessarily in that context if We talked about those things. And so there's a model that is not based on practical concerns, like you have the GP isn't concerned that if someone finds out he plays video games it's a big problem, not a problem at all. But nonetheless, when he goes to work, he kind of uploads one program to how he thinks about his day, and when he goes and plays Doom, it's a different thing. And when he's in the Doom community, a different person, and this is very common and very normal. And I think most people are a light version of this. And I think what we're going to see with EFPs and metaverse type environments is a lot of people will become a more um, distinct version of this. I'll talk about this. One. Related and unrelated, but related is pseudonymity. That doctor on the bulletin board might be pseudonymous. His username might be Monster Slayer 1997, not Mike Smith General Practitioner. And people say, oh, look at this weird thing that's happening on the internet and are we comfortable with it what does it mean well there's a long and proud history of pseudonymous writers and people i pull one example of many here which are the federalist papers which were a series of essays written in support of the constitution of the united states were published in newspapers and then together, and they were written by very famous people, Alexander Hamilton and James Madison, and they could have absolutely written them under their own names, but they wrote them under a pseudonym, and for a variety of reasons, they didn't want to feel, they didn't want to feel um, that they were self-promoting themselves, or maybe they wanted to put the focus on the ideas, a variety of reasons someone might do this. But it's a known concept, something that people have done before the internet. And so you put this together, sometimes an identity might not just be a focus area. Oh, and this is when I talk about doom. It might be a way to have some pseudonymity and to separate a certain area from a certain other area. And I use the word pseudonymity because I think that's basically we have eponymous people online and we have pseudonymous people online and we rarely have purely anonymous people. Right? Anonymous would mean something like was oh, anonymous. It's not anonymous. Pseudonymous. 6, Frank 5, 6, 5, is pseudonymous. Frank shows up every day on Twitter and tweets a bunch of things and is always at the same Twitter account and with the same profile picture. There is a continuity from one day to the next. A truly anonymous person would be someone who would be logging in one day as anon 6578111214, posting something, gone, coming back the next day, the different account, posting something, gone. There's nothing to tie them together. But that's very rare. You don't see very much of this. I can't even imagine. I'm trying to imagine an example in the NFT Twitter space. I can't think of one. And what's really what the choices are, are between equanimous. You go and say, "George, my co-instructor has an eponymous. Better account. He might also have pseudonymous Twitter accounts. I don't know. Hasn't told me. He has a, a one for sure. And you go there, and it's as and I'm, I'm looking at his PFP. It's a picture of him. You say, okay, This is me, and I'm a faculty member at the university. again yeah, I'm saying these things. I'm Georgia. Well, six five two nine is pseudonymous, but just as consistent. Right there is you can mentally model that person, and this is also nothing new. I remember bulletin boards 10 and 15 and 20 years ago. Most people did not put their whole name and social security number to go post to the bulletin board. I remember being on different bulletin boards and doing different things with different people and knowing them by their handle. Their handle was usually something made up. So and it was fine. You kept seeing that pseudonymous person come back every time and say things, and you could develop a consistent understanding of what that person was and how you wanted to interact with them It was fine and less dramatic less than I think people sometimes think of it. I hope. Also, I want to note this briefly. I don't have much to say about this because this was something that was shared with me by one of the Unix faculty. And I don't I don't have depth of knowledge on talking about it, but I thought it was super interesting I put it in. Everyone thinks of it, I I generally think of the relationship between a human and their avatar is unilateral. I am person X, and I want to express this Y part of my personality with this avatar. It appears, and this is fascinating, that the effects are bilateral. That the avatar can impact you back. So there is a faculty member at the University of Nicosia called Chris Christie who does experiments on 3D avatars. And you can see in this photo avatars that look like normal people and avatars that look super strong. And it turns out that if you put VR goggles on people and you show them themselves as kind of a normal person and you ask them to do a test of hand strength, they'll score a certain number. And then if you switch their avatar and give them muscles, but virtual muscles, fake muscles, muscles that are only in their visual uh, field of vision, and then ask them to do the hand test again, they get stronger, which is actually wild, wild. And I suspect we're going to learn a lot. I had also, I didn't put it here, but I saw a study that showed something similar for burn victims, burn victims who, wore virtual reality goggles and were put in a snowy, icy cold environment had lower perceived pain levels than those without. Which again is weird because you think of pain or hand strength as a physical constant, not something that is in any way going to be impacted by what you're looking at. But that's apparently false. And it's going to be very interesting as we have over the course of the next decade, more uh, VR and AR environments, better and more robust avatars, what this bilateral relationship is going to look like. And hopefully, we'll get some experts towards the end of the course when we touch upon these topics. You know this topic better than me. I'm I'm not an expert. But it's I find it interesting to just put that concept out there. The relationship between you and your avatar, you and your PFP, might not be 100% unilateral. It might be to some degree bilateral. Now, this was all about you know, virtual images in general. I'll talk a little bit about them as expressed in NFT collections. And here I'm linking to a slide from last week's session, where we were talking about IP issues in um, NFTs, and specifically in PFPs. And one of the things that, a big takeaway from us, because today in the PFP world, there are basically only two models. And the first model is PFP collections that give you commercial rights to. Avatar and PFP collections that say your avatar is in the um public domain, it's anyone can use it. You can also use it, but anyone else can use it. And the personal license only PFP collections, there's not a ton of them around now, and everyone's more or less migrated to these models. And so I just say this we're not going to re-, re discuss last week's session. But keep that in mind as we discuss some of the things we discussed today. but also, when we speak to CARGA on Thursday and 4156, they're not accidental guests. They are guests who are among the leading advocates for the commercial license model and the public domain model. So that's where we're going to talk to them and ask them why they think that's a good model for their collection and what the pluses and minuses are. So I think that's... It's important to keep this in the back of your mind. Now, one of the things, and again, it'll be known by the older people in the NFT space, but less known as less known by uh, maybe newer people. CryptoPunks, which are viewed as the definitive initial original PFP collection, did not strictly speaking, start as a PFP collection. Larva Labs, the founders, Matt and John, did not come out and say, hey, everyone needs profile pictures that look like you know low res cartoons. And so, here, come get your profile picture so you can use it on Twitter. This wasn't it at all. Right? They were designed as a cool project where the you could claim them for free. The traits were generative. What do I mean by that? You didn't know in advance what you'd get. it would be some combination of the traits that were probability adjusted, and you could get an alien, an ape, a zombie, a human. And it came along with, as a project, and the founders definitely thought of this as well, as a complete project, not just the crypto point itself, but the overall system, which included the front-end website that displayed it, allowed you to trade them, allowed you to trade them for zero fees, make offers, uh, list them for sale. It was a very sophisticated project for its time. Um, It has done more. It It came on day one with more complete infrastructure than almost every PFP project being launched today. But I believe the mental models on what the punks were where is it art, or is it collectible? It wasn't then, is it a PFP? And this quote here is from an interview that the Larva Labs team did with Art gnome who's a true expert in the NFT space, and he asked them this, you know, what, what is it? Is it digital art or is it a collectible project? Their answer was basically it doesn't really matter. We don't care what people call it. We just thought it was really interesting and we want to emphasize that part of the project wasn't just the token and the art but also the contract and the marketplace that's all built in together. What's really interesting when you look at this, you know what's not there is PFKs. That's not how they were thinking of it. The use of crypto punks as PFPs was emergent, it happened from the community, it was not designed, it was not necessarily obvious that this would happen. It didn't happen right away. Project was launched in 2017, and I'm not saying these are the first times that people used a CryptoPunk as their profile picture. But they were the first times I noticed, which doesn't mean, I mean it, I'm sure it happened before, but these weren't seminal events. And the first was in January when G-Money had paid, I think, $100,000 for his CryptoPunk Punk eight back then, was a gigantic record, and then made it his profile picture. And then a few weeks later, 4156. Made a higher amount, I don't remember offhand for his crypto punk cape, and also made it his profile picture and also encouraged a lot of derivatives to be made of his of his profile picture. And we're gonna speak to both 4156 and G1 u in the course. so we're gonna ask them we're gonna ask them directly how they thought of it, why they did it, what it meant. But I remember both of these sticking in my mind. I'm like, oh that's interesting. That. Uh, and over the next few months, a lot more people did. It. First, a lot more crypto punks did. And then, a lot of people with other PFP collections did. It. From my perspective, and some might disagree, and I'm sure I'll hear about it in, on Twitter, but I think NFTs as PFPs was a 2021 phenomenon. And I think it is a unbelievable film. We'll talk about what that might mean a little bit. It's, it's an incredible film. It certainly um, impacted my thinking about 659. That it became very obvious to me in 2021, early 2020, that the idea that you could have an NFT and that NFT could represent your virtual identity, whether it's a 2D PFP or whether it's a 3D avatar, and you know, the models are going to change a hundred times over the next 15 years. But the idea that you're going to have a visual presence representing yourself, of course, is not going to change. And that there is something interesting in representing that as an NFT. Um, and that this is how that if there is a broad open decentralized metaverse internet with 3d re- internet internet with persistent digital objects well that it makes sense to do it this way as opposed to just uploading pictures of yourself, made a lot of sense to me and then that's That was my exact logic behind 6.529. And I'm going to go personal for a second because I think it's wrong. I think 6.529 is one of the better-known PFP NFTs now. And why? Why did I do it? Why did I not just start tweeting about NFTs? My professional class. Well, the first is I like to do things by doing things. And I saw this as, oh, I think this is the native way it's going to be done in the NFT space. So I wanted to live the space the way it's, how I think it's going to play out. You only learn by doing First, The second, I thought it was fun. The third, I thought it would clarify the message that I wanted to say and also help me test the message that I wanted to say. So, I have a reasonable professional reputation, including in crypto, and I could have said like, "Oh, I bought these new things about NFTs, and I want to tell you about them." I instantly, would get some feedback and audience. But I started 6529 with to nine was zero followers as a brand new um, account, but with the six five to nine Because I want to to talk about NFTs, and this is now part of my identity, and I want to talk about NFTs under that identity. And I don't actually want to mix it up with what I ate for dinner last night. Why would this matter? I don't think it matters. What I want to talk about is the open metaverse and how it's very socially important that we succeed at it. And, you know, in no way am I comparing myself to the Federalist Papers, but to imagine a funny joke, we have no idea what, the readers of the Federalist Papers have no idea what Alexander Hamilton had for dinner that like, and why should they, right? Would anything have been improved to say that? I doubt it. So the the um, theory was all of the things mentioned. It was an identity with a community, in this case, the community of NFT holders, and a way to sharpen the message, and stay a focus message. And I think it's working, and I think it's not just something that you would say, oh, well, this is very unique to 6.529, other people won't do this. I've spoken to a lot of people, a lot of people in my professional network, who are fascinated and kind of frightened by this type of thing. And what I tell them is like, oh, this is, well, first of all, this has just a long time pre-NFT, like we discussed, so it's nothing new. But also, I don't think my experience is going to be some weird one-off experience. I think my experience is going to be everyone's experience. I think most people will present multiple identities online like they sort of do now, but a little bit more. And so this, um, I think it's very interesting. I think PFPs do have at some level product market fit, that level being that people will want, need a personalized, customized, reflective of their values and interests and identity. Virtual identity online. Now, does this mean that mutant dates are worth 13 years or whatever? That's a totally different question. How the projects are trying to find their position in the marketplace is a very complicated, interesting question, but not today's question. The question is is not this point. At this point, I believe people will use EFPs in this way and it's a fairly obvious and trivially obvious usage case um, in virtual worlds and for NFTs. Here we are, our, our good friend Barat on a slide. And yeah, I think this is a little bit more of the same that, you know, what happens, and I'm saying this more for people who are not deep in the space, like what happens when I see this NFT? What is tell me before I get to know Barat? Like what messaging is he saying? Well, he's saying that he's crypto native. That's what that's kind of the messaging of the punks. And the crypto native comes one of two ways, right? Either you were early enough to own a punk early, because wow, you're really truly really crypto native. You thought that this was a good idea to buy one back then. Or if you're a relative Johnny come lately, it means you are willing to sacrifice a lot of capital to own one. You might say, well, people are just doing this to present themselves the way that they're not. I'm sure that's for some people, but on average, on average, statistically, someone who is holding a punk when they could instead be holding tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, or in a few cases, millions of dollars, is making a decision that a punk is more important to them than tens or hundreds or thousands of dollars or millions of dollars, so statistically, you will know something about it. It is highly unlikely, for example, that they hate crypto assets. It is quite likely that they like crypto assets, that they believe in them, that they're willing to sacrifice fiat assets and fiat consumption goods in order to make this thing. And so while you might not know anything about Bharat specifically, you will know something in aggregate against them across the 10,000, and this leads to two, right, where there's, oh, no no punks follow punks. I think that has died off a little bit, but, you know, the punks' discord was very popular, and people thought they had shared values, and I think they do have shared values. And the War Apes' discord has a different set of shared values. I mean, that's true. And the Moonbirds' discord has a different set of shared values. They're all pretty similar at this stage, right? We haven't... They're, they're all quite similar people, anyone who's currently buying a PFP NFT, but there are differences between those communities, and they're being expressed. And this is, this is where collections of PFPs possibly mean something. Because they're a way, they're a shorthand to signal something if Barat just made a random drawing of himself and presented it. Well, Barat's, you know, a fantastic collector, an excellent Twitter, and so he would of course become someone we respect to follow in any case. However, there's a cognitive shortcut. He's sending a message, he's sending a cognitive shortcut that I express these types of values. Not perfectly, not completely. You know, you don't you don't if you wear a University of Alabama t shirt, it doesn't mean you agree with every decision of the University of Alabama, but you're doing some type of cognitive shortcut. And of course it allows for pseudonymity in a way that you know, physical photo now, spoke about this a lot yesterday, we'll talk about it on Thursday. The time to introduce another concept, a very controversial concept in PFPs, which is the concept of utility. And utility was, I believe, and this is not to say that there weren't some utility aspects in prior collections, but this concept as an important concept in the pfp collection i think was largely popularized by Yuga, Yuga, which founded the board apes that called pfp collection was very ambitious post-minting in offering all types of benefits goodies fun features to their community which is very different than crypto bugs, right? the larval Labs team after they Minted PFPs, uh, It's something that approximates to nothing, and uh, there's not a criticism of the state. Right? Uh, uh, people go back and forth, which one's better. And, and they did not organize parties for punks. They did not make a game for punks. They did not make t-shirts for punks. And many of those. Things. They said, "Oh, this is an interesting digital art collectible project." We have done it, and then whatever then happened with the bunch was quite emergent. Yuga was a little different. Yuga started off, you got access to a virtual yacht club and you could break things on the walls. But then they held parties in New York. They airdropped additional NFTs. They're now building a game called, or a metaverse, or a game metaverse called Other Side. And so Yuga, the company, does an awful lot of things. And they also popularized a different concept, the concept of commercial rights. And we talked about this earlier yesterday. It was, the logic wasn't necessarily that every single or day holder would launch a big business, but if this is going to be your identity, you should be able to do whatever you want. Know? And the punks and Marvel Labs were not totally clear what you could do with your CryptoPunk. People say, no, if you're on this board eight, you can do whatever you want. Not, you don't have to ask us for permission. It's your identity. And it, almost the idea of that, the commercial rights, was just as important as the commercial rights. And for whatever reason, maybe it was these things that they did, or maybe it was a moment in time, or maybe it was their minting model. Whatever the case was, the board API club did very, very well economically was minted at 0.0 EP you. Know, at some point, it crossed 100 ETH per PFP. And, I you know, this is investment price. I have no idea what the price is for or any other. Um, but the interesting thing is the following. Because it did well, and because it had a lot of utility. A lot of other collections followed this path. And so the typical collection, you know, the punks have the benefit that they were first early, have heritage and history and provenance. And so it's plausible to believe that the CryptoPunks are the Andy Warhol soup cans of PFPs. They were the first. They were the original. They were extremely well thought out. They were very comprehensive. They had a form of artistic thinking in them. They are artistically, the fact that they are simplistic probably actually even helps them in terms of, you know, being less uh, impacted by fashion trends. And so this, that opportunity was unique to the public. What has happened with other PFP collection? because the first one that managed to make real inroads against the punks, and today is broadly the same market cap as the punks so, and this heavy utility focus, the space shifted there because obviously people were saying, well, my gosh, there's a great business opportunity. Like, uh, people like having NFTs, the uh, PFPs, there's 10,000 punks, people can do a very quick check check that there's more than 10,000 people in the world. You say, well, yeah, yeah, but maybe there's not 10,000 people who want to spend a lot of money on the PFP. And I think this is probably also incorrect. The most amazing statistic I read in the last couple months is that Rolex, which a lot of people think it was a luxury elite product, sells one million watches a year. And over the last, I don't know how many years, two decades has sold 40 million something watches. And so, a Rolex is, of course, an identity object it is not a object that whose goal is to tell you the time certainly not in 2022 you have a phone on you you know watch with a zillion features for a couple hundred bucks you're buying a your rolex for identity reasons community belonging reasons self-expression reasons. and the average rolex is under 12 dollars, which is still a reasonably priced EFP, and there's a million of those a year right so a lot of people in the crypto space, NFT space, with an entrepreneurial mind, and in this math, oh, so, obviously there's going, to be, there's going to be more demand for PFPs than 1,000, and in which case, we should make some. And how do we get people to be interested? we're going to do things for them, the utility, line? and this, I would say, is one of the very big, interesting, and outstanding questions about this. Because it worked with board age, or at least so far, the collection's a year and a half old. I don't think you can replicate the birth of the crypto banks anymore. And then I think the interesting question, the utility question, really boils down to is it, does anyone actually? Want these things are these things interesting, you know? You can get physical goods, you get airdrops, you get access to market reports. Um, when we get Kevin Rose on here later in the year, I'm going to ask him why he sent us a fanny pack. I did not previously think I wanted a fanny pack, right? And so, some of them are saying we're going to make DAOs, we're going to make metaverses, we're going to make games. And I think in some cases, it is a bit a solution looking for a problem as opposed to necessarily a problem that is very obviously solved by these solutions. I think what has happened is certain collections generated a high market value, and then people kind of looked around and said, well, why does it have this high market value? Well, we need to do things to justify it. it's not necessarily clear to me if those things are the right things. Some of them might turn out to be the right things, some of them might not, and the reality is we don't know yet. Right? NFTs as a PFP concept is not even two years old. Utility-oriented PFP collections are maybe a year and a half old. Most of the utility-oriented PFP collections have been out for a few months. Is there any doubt in my mind that people will use PFPs and if you want them to be verifiably yours and take your identity across different applications, so they should be in NFT. You know, zero doubt. zero. Is it clear in my mind that it's good that there is a company that has issued those NFTs, and that company is going to do Interesting activities for you. They'll make you a physical clubhouse. They'll hold parties. They'll sell you t shirts. They'll do special shows with actors. Well, maybe. I think some people will figure it out. I actually think some of those are going to work, but some of them will not. In fact, most of them will not. And we're at the beginning of a vast process of exploration of which models do work and which models don't work and which models work for which communities because it's going to be different. But some communities. Are going to value, and you can just see this very clearly between the punks community and the Apes community. The Apes community very much values, Ape fest in New York, and people go there and enjoy it and have a good time and stand in line and they go to a yacht party on the piers. And then if the punks did something similar, the profile, the psychological profile of the punks, is less interesting than that. Type of thing. Neither is right, neither is wrong. Right? There's going to be different things for different types of people. So we're in this? experimentation phase. And I'll mention the nouns here because the nouns are another take on the same model. And because we're going to talk to Paul one time so to talk about these. The nouns are the step beyond commercial, right? So they, like the crypto toads and the CDBs and the MFers, are collections that say we're building a collection that is meant to be a network-oriented collection. What do I mean by that? I think you can think of it in phases. If I'm a company and I don't give commercial rights I'm any type of company, I'm starting a lifestyle company, a streetwear company, I have five or 10 people at my company who can who can, um, make new products. And hopefully my people are talented and smart and have taste We'll like that. And if I'm a commercial collection, maybe there'll be thousands of people who have commercial rights, and of those, a few hundred or dozens will do some interesting things. With them. So I get some network effects. The idea behind nouns, there's many ideas behind nouns, but the relevant idea here is well, why doesn't the whole world do that for us? Why should it just be the people who happen to hold a noun? Maybe someone in Japan. Who turns out to be super-talented and wants to do a project with these famous nouns once, he can just do it. He doesn't need to ask anyone permission. And then you so, okay, well, is that good? Is that bad? Well, the model there, and the underlying theory there, is that in an attention economy, in a network attention economy, really the only thing that's going to drive long-term value is long-term attention. If, I think this would be the best case scenario for now, right? They become some type of global brand. Then through some mechanism, somehow, still unclear, owning an actual Noun token will show a level of provenance and prestige, and it should be valuable. It is the far edge of DFP experimentation in my view now, and we'll get into this, I don't want to get too deep into this, because we'll have a whole session talking about this. Also, you know, we had mentioned avatars, and avatars are, of course, coming. They're coming to PFP World. There's some already. The MeeBits, um, the um, Kongs, there's more coming. Will there be avatar-based collections for moving around in virtual worlds? Of course. It's 100% happening. We're at the infancy of this, but I will expect a lot more of this, and that'll be an interesting question what's Better do you keep two? Do you have one for 2D environments, one for 3D environments? Do you have only one? In which case, is it a 2D rendered in 3D? Is it 3D rendered in 2D? I don't know, but we're going to find out over the next five to ten years. Now, I'm going to go highly abstract for something. Ideas I want to inject into your thinking. One of the things that fascinates me about PFP collections is this idea that they are a publicly readable community database. What do I mean by that? We talked about the crypto books. You don't have to know who any of the crypto punk holders are in real life. You don't need to know their mailing address, their social security number, their email, where they live, to be able to address them. What do I mean by address them? Well, you can airdrop them a token of any type by airdropping it to the addresses that have CryptoPunk tokens. You don't need anyone's permission to do it. It's right there, it's easy to find, you can do it. You can create an application where someone who has a CryptoPunk logs in with their Web3 wallet and can enable features in that application. Now, what could those features be? Well, it could be things like, borrow against your CryptoPunk, because you know, you feel you know how much CryptoPunks are worth, and you're willing to take a CryptoPunk as collateral and extend a loan against it. It could be, sign a licensing agreement. The CryptoPunks were bought by Yuga um, and so they now have commercial rights. And so let's say I wanted to sell coffee mugs with crypto parts on them. I can make an application and say, hey, I want a sub-license. And the way you can express to me that you're interested, I don't have to like email you or call you. You come here and sign something cryptographically with a non-exclusive sub-license you could say in a metaverse environment in um, a you say oh here's a neighborhood and this neighborhood is only available to crypto holders and how will we know you're a crypto punk holders because we'll check your wallet when you log in and if you have a crypto token you can come in and if you can't you, can. you could make a game and say if you're in this game you know, it's very interesting. Everyone, and I understand why they want to do it, everyone when they're making games wants to make their own game assets so they can monetize them. But people will people will make games that will use existing NFT assets. You can say, Oh look, I've made this cool game and if I have a crypto punk, I get a special orb of power and it does something in the game. You could even go into the physical world. You could say, look, I'm actually running a physical club in Manhattan, and it's token gated. And you can come in, you can there's different models now where you on a mobile device demonstrate ownership of a token. And maybe it's not just for punks, maybe it's for 20 different types of collections. It's people who are generally into NFTs. NFT Club NYC, right? It's a cool bar. You only want NFT nerds, so you can talk about NFTs all day long. I'm not saying this is necessarily a good business idea. I'm just saying you can, in fact, do it. And if you think about this concept, it's a ginormous idea. Because there are all types of community databases in the world. They are all held in, in fact, centralized databases. They all have a variety of personal information involved and A, you can't easily get access to them. And B, to get access to them, for someone to give you access to them, usually means usually they're going to hand over people's personal information, right? So let's say I wanted access to the sort of database of the Catholic Church of America, but I would go make have to deal with a Catholic church, and I don't think they would, but let's say they did. I certainly couldn't do anything directly because it would expose everyone's personal information. They'd so do some model work. Oh, here, include a mailer to their house or what have you. But none of these things are digitally native. None of these things are particularly interesting in 2022. Whereas to the degree that communities start forming through NFT collections, and those NFT collections mean something. And by mean something, actually, not that there's a cool t-shirt or a game, mean something and they have distinctive value, distinctive psychodemographics. It's going to be very interesting because you can then have the world at large developing things for your community, regardless of which model you're on. Right? You, don't have, you can be a commercial model, or you can be in a CC0 model, someone can still make an opt-in service for your community. I think this idea is underappreciated. I think I need to work on it and develop it more. I think it's a very large idea and much more interesting idea than most of what is going on on the utility side. I don't want to say everything, but most of what's going on. Next question we're going to ask this for the... Maybe for the new people. Why do people pay so much? It is almost like the generic first argument that people say, oh, NFTs are a scam. I can't believe someone paid 100 grand for this monkey phone. Well, of course, some of what's going on is speculation. Of course, some of what's going on is bubbles. Where prices go up and prices go down a lot, which happens a lot in crypto. Where it's the most um directly monetized space on the internet. So some of it is just, you know, something that's popular, then something that's unpopular, the price goes up, then well, the price goes down. That's of course so but why isn't the price for all these things like 10 well, bucks? let's start with the crypto punks, which is where the logic started and sort of things. If the crypto punks meant something natively, importantly, artistically as the first of its type in the crypto world, well, certain people, myself included, want to express my identity through owning a part of that culture, just like I've expressed my identity famously, I repeat the story, but I do it because to me it's this exact same thing. I express my identity by owning an Andy Warhol tomato soup. It says something about it. I like that type of thing. This is the same type of thing. It says something about me. I like that type of thing. And it turns out the net market dynamics of how many people feel that way and how many crypto punks there are, and given the crypto punks sit in a somewhat special place in the hierarchy, and given that the people who tend to feel that way Tend to have a lot of crypto assets and have gotten fairly rich over the last few years. speaking. the market clears at whatever price crypto market. the point four point today is 90000 dollars. Does it mean it should be ninety and not ten or ninety and not nine hundred? Nobody knows. We will discover this over time, but it is. No different conceptually to why a tomato soup can cost whatever a tomato soup can. This is where the logic starts. What about these utility-based collections? Well, it's the same thing at first. Right now, and everyone's trying to, you know, the project promoters are trying to replicate in short-circuit the pathway of crypto banking, make the same thing happen. Well, I think this is where some of the mismatch happens. Where a lot of people, and look at the, quote unquote utility and say, well, I'm not sure that's worth 50 grand. Why is that worth 50 grand? If I think it's going to be an interesting question. Most utility based collections, I believe, will fail. The ones that work are the ones who manage to build a broad ecosystem, but the original PFPs are not highly diluted. We spoke about this with they hope that someday the Bordeaux ecosystem is as large as some of the major lifestyle brands today. And if that's the case, and there's only 30,000 PFPs running it is likely that the demand for those PFPs will be sufficient but the prices will be you know, non-zero. Significant. We don't know these things, yet, right? And because like most startup ideas, most collections will fail. Price will not be high. You're going to have this continuous tension with non-crypto people, non-NFT people. say, like, oh, come on, this is like all the time, some type of scam, it's some type of bubble." And you know, the median investment in NFT PFT might be a bad investment. But some of them will, I think, create a strong social construction, and for those, I think they will hold value. If there is continued demand for a million relatives a year, there's going to be more than 10 or 20 or 30,000 valuable people. How valuable, I don't know. Which ones, I don't know. I'm not here to do, I never give investment advice. So I'm start today. But I think it's fair to say that. Most BFTs will not be inexpensive, inexpensive. And if you will have value, and the fact that they have value is not some type of a priori um, takeaway that there is a scam going on. That's incorrect. I think that's quite sloppy thinking, even if a lot of these things don't actually hold value. Some questions that I want you to think about as we talk about, as we go through the next two interviews, discussions with garden 4156 there are things that have, that I have in the back of my mind when I'm chatting with them, and you'll see them come out, and I want to let you know the questions that I'm thinking about. The first is valuation. Utility. What does it mean? You know, does it mean anything. Right? Is, is this what people actually want? What do people want? Does it present, and this is a kind of an obscure question, we will talk about this more later in the course when we talk about securities legislation, so I don't want to get in deep into it now. Does it present some risk that the tokens will be classified as security? We'll see. But I don't it's not for today. What is what are the trade offs between commercial licenses versus cc zero public domain licenses? Are these really communities or are these customers of a company? What does that mean? Are these art businesses, or maybe the social construction is durable, or are they fashion businesses? Where today it's in fashion, model. it's not in fashion. What are the revenue models? You know, is it from primary sales or from ongoing royalties? How is this impacted with the current debate happening on royalties? These are the types of things I want to dig into with Carden for one five six, and get into the more hard-hitting questions. I think we now have the basics covered. We have some basic frameworks and models covered. And then we'll get into some more hard-hitting questions. Now I want to share a couple of just numbers, then we'll go to QA. I pulled this from the NFT evaluation team. What's interesting that so far they've tracked PFPs and generative art and one of one art I think, coming in the next few months. I don't think one of one art is likely to be bigger than generative art. And what's interesting so far, the market value of PFPs is higher than the market value of, I suspect we'll see the other categories of NFTs. And I think there's a couple of reasons you can imagine. One, because maybe it's easier. It's the easy way to get started. It's understandable what which ones are more valuable, less valuable, more rare, less rare. It's understandable what you do with it. Stick it on your profile. Um, so that's one idea. The other idea, maybe it has product market fit. Maybe this is a thing that everyone is going to want. Right? Everyone. And maybe whereas owning a piece of generative art is something only a few people are going to want. So we don't know the reasons, but today very large percentage, the largest percentage of the NFT market capitalization. Eight of the top 10 collections by market cap of PFP collections. Four of those, or of the top five are Yuga, and five of the top 10 are Yuga. So it is quite concentrated. Um, interesting, I was in a semi-debate on Twitter about this. Someone asked, me, is this a monopoly? No, NFTs are the furthest thing from monopoly, right? There's no barriers to entry, none, zero. I can go out this afternoon and mint 20,000 PFP collections and see what happens. So I think it is more a reflection of the immaturity of the space that one company controls the IP for 50 60% of the market cap for PFPs. And really, this primarily happened because they were able to buy the CryptoPunks IP. But I'm all but 100% certain that this number will diminish over time. Because there's, people will be launching new PFP collections, and some of them will hit some vein of interest among the public. And there's no reason to believe that only Yuga can do that. Many communities, artists, companies, etc., will come after this space. So I think that number is in fact high now, but it also will go down over time naturally because unlike how you think about classic monopolies, your utility company, you know, they've literally run the pipes to your house with classic monopoly. Yoga does not have a classic monopoly. Anyone can launch a TFP collection. Um, What they've done is very good execution. So, I do think that number will naturally come down. And then, the last data point, this is volume from, you know, I think it's actually from all time. Basically, before January 2021, it was impossible. You can barely even see it on the chart. And there were big spikes in fall of August and September of 2021. A huge spike in April is the other side of Mint. And today, volumes are down quite a bit. Crypto volumes in general are down quite a bit. And given this is the least-established part of the crypto-asset field. It's logical and expected that they'll be down even more. This does not a priori bother me. I think this is going to be a very, very large field, and this reminds me of what was happening in early Bitcoin, the spikes of activity and then long periods of much less activity. I think that's how it's going to happen. Uh, here as well. And so this is what I wanted to cover today. What I'm going to do is I I don't want to mint the presentation yet. I want to finish the chats with the others, pull some information from those chats and and, uh, share it once it's fully complete, uh, probably towards the end of the week. I don't know if George or Valentinos can tell me, are we in one room in which case I could maybe drop down and try and do voice chat in all? Or are there multiple rooms in which case I think we need to do it this way for now so everyone can get answers. I have been abandoned. Time to go into some type of social platform. Um, see if I can find the key. Okay, well, nobody's replying to me here, so I am going to assume assume we're... I'm going to take the safe choice and just answer questions here. So let me stop sharing. Okay. Why don't you feed... questions to the team in Um, home. I'll try and answer them here, and Unix team, I'm looking in the live channel, the 5.11 live channel, I'm looking for the questions, there. I'll assume I will see them there. I see three of them so far, and I assume there are more than three questions, so please just feed them into there. Um. take this question to basically not take this question. What is the best way to do marketing for your PFP project? I'll tell you the worst way to do marketing for your PFP project is to send me a DM on Twitter and say, hey, what's your what's your rate card for marketing my PFP project? I get that I get that DM ten or 15 times every single day. Um Needless to say, I don't even bother replying to these. And needless to say, this is unlikely to be a model that is going to be successful. Right? The idea of hoping some people with reach will, for some reason, take your money to say, wow, this is a super cool PFP collection. And people are going to care about that or care about that in the long term is a terrible model. I'm almost 100% certain that this will not work. The things that I think have worked, that's what I'm gonna say is different. But that's how these types of things are different. You have to find a core of people who have a shared ethos. The punks had a shared ethos around the idea of crypto natives, Um, The Born Apes, for sure early on, had a shared ethos around the idea of taking themselves less seriously and less expensively than the punks. The CDBs have a shared ethos of taking themselves extremely non-serious. And it's one of those You know, anti branding, anti status ethos. You're willing to use a CDB as your PFP. You don't care about status. It's an anti status, status flex, if that makes sense. Um, The nouns have an ethos. The ethos is that they're trying to test, certainly for Font 156 is trying to test this idea of an extremely decentralized PFP project. In fact, I don't think he even thinks about his PFP project. He thinks he's building a protocol. Discuss that and see if you think that's true or not. It's certainly the objective. What is not like... So, to me, you got to start with that question. Who wants to be a part of this? Why do they want to be a part of it? Ask yourself if these people would want to be together for any other reason. What tends to be the default case of a new PFP project, which is why the default new PFP project adds immediately to zero, is it starts off with the needs of the creator. The The perceived needs of the creator tend to be something along the lines of I want to make a lot of money. And have no interest in the actual needs of the people from whom you're hoping to make a lot of money. Right? And so the, the, the starting point has to be little, well, who are you addressing? Why are you addressing? Why are you addressing those people? What are you helping them for in their lives? And start there. You say, oh, well, that's hard, I don't have any ideas, I just want to like, I don't know, make 10,000 generative crocodiles. Um, well, this is not like work. Some people have made some money doing this, there, so I can't say I'm in favor of it. But it has happened. So you have to start. Always think about the customers, the community, the people. Start there, not with your project. If you start a project, and then ask yourself, why does someone want it? Well, weird model. Okay, next question. PFP identity can be tied to the cultural object framework, perhaps. Yeah, so this is something I tweeted about. A cultural object framework is something that I just completely made up, but I still think it's important. Uh the idea is that everyone knows a bunch of cultural objects. Those cultural objects might be Mickey or the Mona Lisa or Donald Trump, like Donald Trump, is a cultural object as much as a human being. I can be, project all types of ideas on, good or bad. Um, there's a bunch of global cultural objects. There's a bunch of national ones. Italians have different ones than Americans. And then you have local ones in your community. Local high schools a local cultural objects that nobody else uh, cares about. The and at any point in time, people have. Maybe a few thousand cultural objects they remember. I think it's just a limitation of human memory. You just sit down and try and write down every cultural object you can think of, unaided. I think you'll come to a few thousand. I don't think you'll get to you know, five thousand. The ones that have made it as global cultural objects everyone on planet Earth knows are mentioned to Coca Cola, right? Coca Cola is super valuable, not because, you know, fizzy sugar water is super valuable. It's super valuable because several billion people will recognize that bottle and say, oh, that's this very specific, very specific um, sugar water. So this is uh, the background. And I think some PFP projects are currently in the competition to become global cultural objects. How many will make it? No more than a handful. Why? Because how many global cultural objects are there? 200, 500, 1,000, and not not 50,000. So how many of those are going to be PFPs? Not a lot. But some will. Some might. And part of my logic of why I think we're super early um, in PFPs you don't see national or local. Like the normal example I give is France. France is a big country. It's a G7 economy. It has 60 something million people. It is extremely proud of its language and culture. They have a whole institute set up to protect its language and culture. And as far as I can tell, I have yet to see. A meaningful PFP collection where the names of the traits are in French. By the way, I'm not suggesting you should go do this as a business idea because probably the reason it hasn't happened is a lot of French people now still working with NFTs, but someday there will be. And it seems totally obvious that the average French person who on average speaks French will want a PFP in his or her native language. And how many PFP collections in French of 10,000 France support? Well, quite a few. Or maybe fewer collections, but larger numbers of PFPs. So I don't think we've even hit national level PFPs. We have, I don't know, 30, 40 meaningful PFP collections, all of which are competing on a global basis, all of which are super rudimentary, right? Like the numbers are tiny. When you think about, oh, large communities, well, Facebook has three and a half billion people. And, oh, the Bored Apes have minted a lot of NFTs. Depending on if you count the quotas in or not, in other sides, the Bored Apes either have 30,000 or 40,000 people. 30 or 40,000 is not a large number, either as a brand or as a social media company. And so we're still super, super early, super, super niche. And I think thinking through the cultural object framework, so thinking fractally that there will be outcomes of national, at a global level, at a national level at a community level, will actually help maybe help you find gaps in the marketplace. In fact, the gaps in the marketplace are literally everything. Everything's a gap in there. But you have to ask yourself, do you understand this group well enough, and are they online enough, and are they crypto enough now that you can fill that? All right, do you think the archetype of PFP is going to be replaced? Seems temporary. I assume this means the 2D profile picture. Um, well, we'll definitely have 3D avatars. You might have other things. The 3D avatars are probably the end state, right? Because they'll work 3D in the browser. They'll work in virtual reality. They'll work in augmented reality. I don't think the end state in any of those three is going to be a 2D image. It's going to be a 3D avatar. It's going to be the most natural thing. So I certainly expect a lot more 3D avatar 3D avatar, NFT collection. How does that interact with 3D spaces? I don't know. I had mentioned this earlier. Like, are you going to have one PFP for Twitter and a different one for running around OM? Are you going to have the same one? And if you're going to have the same one, is it, like, in OM, am I going to have just a brand new, 3D PFP and then I'll use that on Twitter, or am I going to make a 3D 6529 to run around all? I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's too early to know this, and of course it's one of those questions where the answer is yes, all of the above, right? Different people will do different things. But for sure, as much as 2D PFP, NFTs are early, 3D ones are absurdly early, more Beginning of the day. So I don't know what comes after that. I do think that the 3D ones have a lot of room to run, and there's a lot of technical issues to solve to make them work well. Facebook has spent tens of millions of dollars, and they are still working on having their 3D avatars have legs in VR You know, why is it hard to have legs? I can do it in an afternoon. Have legs in VR and not make the user nauseous. Legs have to actually work in a naturalistic way that people don't get nauseous. So a lot of work that needs to be done, but I do think that's probably the end statement. Um, Does a PFP with no utility have a chance in the future? Um, Yes. I think it is an open question how much, and as with everything else, both models work, but how much the model is going to be. I want to own this NFT because there's a team of people at the company behind it doing a bunch of cool stuff for me. They're organizing parties, they're making a special house for me to stay in when I'm in San Francisco. They're airdropping me a t shirt. I mean, all of this stuff is one model. And then there's going to be other PFPs that are pure culture. The Crypto Punks are pure culture. The CDBs are pure culture. There is no centralized CDB team. There is no one organizing on behalf of the project. It's just a cultural, um, I think cultural ones are harder to do because you've got to figure, you've got to really hit the meaning of a certain culture. They're harder to do, but if you do them, if you do them, I think they're easier to be successful. If you get it right, the pathway to success is easier because you have to do fewer things. The ones that are utility based. I think you do end up in a bit of a grind as the operator of the project, the promoter of the project, that expectations are set that you're doing something for the holders on an ongoing basis. And you've got to do it forever. Right? I don't see how you sell. I don't think that's bad. I mean, big companies operate effectively forever, like Nike isn't saying, well, gosh, I'm really exhausted thinking up of new shoes, so next year we're not going to make it. It's a normal corporate thing, but if you end up in that model, that is the model you're going have. you going have to keep coming up with new things every year, forever, or further developing the existing things, and managing to stay tuned with the values and interests of your group and competing with a bunch of other groups. So the utility model... I think it does imply a lot of work, if it works. A culture model, all of the hard works on the front end, you make something that's culturally resonant. If you made something that's culturally resonant and they're an the initial pickup, it might be self-sustaining with much less work from the project. But So they're both, you know, there's no free lunch in life. This is another no-free-lunch type conclusion um, that, Both models, I think. All right, what is your most optimistic and pessimistic outlook for PFPs three to five years from now? Also, what are your thoughts on PFPs for professional groups like the Royal College of Surgeons or Trade Um, Unions? I'll start with the second question. I think they're a great fit for professional groups. Professional groups are definitely going to do them. And they're definitely going to use them. I don't think that's tomorrow. It's maybe three to five years from now, as it says. And certainly by the end of the decade. So my most optimistic outlook is also my default outlook, which is everyone is going to have many NFTs by then Everyone, as a first approximation, I mean people with an internet connection and a smartphone and a computer and access to at least a little bit of money, like, two or three billion people, something like that. And by everyone, probably don't mean every single grandmother in the world, right? Maybe not exactly everyone, but everyone who is internet active, which of course can include them. But so, and they'll have all types of NFTs. And the median NFT that they're going to have is not going to be very expensive because the median person doesn't have a lot of money to buy an expensive NFT. For the same reason that the median person isn't buying a Louis Vuitton person. For the same person, the median person globally does not own a Mercedes Benz. But the median person still has a person, and they might have a car, or a motorcycle, or a bicycle, or have some means of transportation. So I would expect the distribution of the prices of NFTs and of PFPs to reflect the distribution of income and wealth in the world. This sounds totally obvious, like, how can it be any other way? Right? The, In which case, there's going to be a gigantic number of PFP collections, utterly gigantic. Most of them a quote unquote failure in economic terms, maybe even most of the quote unquote failure in engagement and utility terms, because, you know, you don't need to do very much to launch a PFP collection. Permissionless system that can do it, so, of course, a lot of people will do a lazy effort and not very much work into it, and then big surprise, it's not going to work. But there will also be some valuable, quote-unquote, in-unit price collections. There will also be collections that are much, much larger than today, and so the average price of a PFP might be much lower than some of these fancy the total value of the collection, but more importantly, is people are using people are using them to organize social activity online, organize community activity, online, make their social and community groupings interoperable with other social and community groupings and applications. This would be a very happy outcome, and it would also be my default. Option, but I think it's going to. What's my pessimistic outcome? It's the same pessimistic outcome for everything in the NFT and crypto space. That we, in the United States and the European Union, we effectively lose the freedom to have our own wallets. We can have the freedom to transact in crypto directly on the chain, that we are forced to go to centralized providers, that you cannot hold an NFT unless you're holding it in a centralized custodian like Coinbase, that uh, you are pulled into a permission system. Once you're pulled into a permission system, innovation is going to die, interesting ideas are going to die, there's going to be someone gatekeeping. And it's going to get very, very boring and uninteresting. To me, this is the number one important thing, not just for the success of the crypto space and the T-space. My view is this is very important for human freedom in general because the ability to transact permissionlessly off-chain is coming to an end. There will be a continued pressure for of cash. And if we lose the ability to run applications non-custodially, permissionlessly, online, which a good chunk of the regulatory system would like that to happen. It means our whole economic activity as individuals, as organizations, as societies can be switched on and off by a specific individual in a specific position of power, central bank, president, prime minister, or have. And none of that is healthy for society. There is, I am not, you're going to hear this over and over again, I am not naive, there are bad people, there are criminals in the world, there are people we should have law enforcement chase around. But because I'm not naive, I also think that if we centralize godlike like powers in a handful of governmental positions, some of those criminal minds, will work very hard so they get in that position. And when they get in that position, they'll be responsible. So a sophisticated understanding of risk, a sophisticated understanding of bad people and criminality, isn't just we need to catch all the bad guys. It is also let's not create gigantic prizes that a bad guy can grab. Because someday... In the history of time, in some country, someone's going to manage you to hold them. It's inevitable. Um, a soul bound PFP, would not be an identity in Web3? By a soul bound PFP, someone means a PFP tied to a wall. It's um, a big topic. I don't think we can cover it in depth today. My short answer is: I think tying a PFP to wallets is basically dumb. Um, we are at the beginning of the beginning of wallet technology. Everyone's going to want to change wallets many times going forward, and the only way to both enable that and have a soul bound is to effectively centralize that. It has to be some place you can go, say, okay, to prove to them that I no longer want to use this wallet, I want to move it to another wallet, or I've lost access to this wallet. Uh, It's a point of centralization, I don't like it. What the soul-bound NFT is actually trying to solve is proof of humanity, civil resistance, the ability to say, this person is the same person, that this wallet and that wallet and the next one are still one person. It is one of the great unsolved problems um, in crypto, and more generally, in decentralized identity. People have been trying to solve this for a very long time. It may be solvable, I'm not 100% sure. It may not be solvable, I'm not 100% sure. But I'm pretty sure it is not solvable by saying something as simplistic as you can't move your PFP from this wall. Doesn't solve anything unless you actually verify. I mean, the types of things you'd have to do for this to be a useful outcome would be you have to KYC the person beforehand. Because otherwise, you know, someone could go get a sold down token for six five if in a different wallet, claim to be six five but not actually be six You have to KYC and then you need a process permanently to authorize movements to new walls. And by the time you've done that, you might as well just run a database. I mean, this is not better than a database. This is actually a very complicated and painful way to implement a permission database. So to the degree that there's going to be a useful um, form of decentralized identity, a useful form of civil resistance, I, it's not easy to do. It's very hard to do. A lot of great minds have failed to solve it so far. It might be solvable, but it's not solvable in this simplistic way. And since it's not solvable in this simplistic way, since soul-bound tokens, as they're currently described, to me are not fit for the purposes i this describing. All they actually do is make life annoying for everyone with no actual practical benefit. Okay, let's see. Um, do you think a physical-backed token recently tested by Azuki might be a relevant use case for corporate companies? I am skeptical about the confusion in new users. Do you think they have a future? So, Azuki announced something yesterday, and I don't think Azuki <laughs> did not invent this, but they're using it in their project, a little physical device, I call it a Beam, that can be embedded in a physical product And generate a key, and so that when you have a hybrid physical digital token combo, there's actually a linkage to the physical device, the physical 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 object. Um, I'm glad people are experimenting with this. I think it's a very useful and fruitful area for people to experiment. I'm not totally 100% convinced how useful this is. Um, A big part of the reason that tokens are interesting is their instant around the world, composability, movability, et cetera, et cetera. If there's a physical object Obviously, you can't move that physical object around the world instantaneously. You're back in the world of shipping and UPS and DHL and shipping insurance and verifying what it is, that it wasn't damaged and all these things. Those are not solved by a better linkage between the token and the physical object. Now, what if... Now, is it possible, do I believe there will be a world that I can scan a physical object, I don't know, a carton of eggs. And that carton of eggs will tell me that they were hatched in this farm and the chickens were fed organic grain and I can even track where that grain came from. And they lived for, oh, well, was it? Eggs, right? They were they were packaged on this day. They were in trucks from these many other days. And now they're in my kitchen ready to become an omelet. Yeah. We will have that. And does it make sense that that type of tracking information is put on a blockchain so that if I'm an egg supplier and you're an egg supplier and you're actually a milk supplier and I'm a wheat supplier... We all write some type of standardized format on the blockchain, so people can make applications for this type of use. Yeah, um, also sounds super interesting. Now, you've been saying this for a very long time, no one's actually done it yet, but it's conceptually one of those things that makes sense for blockchain, blockchains make sense when you have large groups of disparate people that are otherwise hard to organize. and food producers and food distributors and food consumers are a good example of this. And All of this is a physical object with a blockchain piece, and there could be something embedded, it could be, be some on a physical device that says, like, this thing represents this information. And all of this sounds really good. And the part that I'm not 100% sold on is that the linkage to the token doesn't. You wouldn't, you know, if I gave you my carton of eggs, allows you to transfer some token. Of course, this is not the usage case people are talking about. Right? The usage case people are talking about is like, I give you my protect from and it also comes with a token, and the token goes along with it, and that has information. <clears throat> I'm not saying there won't be some use of luxury goods for this type of thing, but I, I am saying that the nature of a physical object being tied to an NFT takes away a lot of the actual. And it drags you into the extremely non-scalable thing. and you know, I'll give you a practical example. I think the 5 museum has a couple thousand the piece, and the fund has a few hundred other ones and among those 2,500 or something for three or four of them we've gotten also a physical good a physical installation as well and they're great, and they're amazing. And I have no objection to physical pieces. Right? I own some. But we have spent more time going through and thinking about how we're going to store those physical pieces of art and where we're going to store them, and what's the right model, and how are we going to keep them safe, and how much is going to cost, and how are we going to ship them, and, 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 and all of these things than when, for these five NFTs, than the other 2,495 combined by a factor of one, And every time I think about these hybrid physical digital things, I just... My mind immediately goes to the logistics you know, accept Well, sure, but some things are going to exist in the physical world anyway, if you want to buy a fancy watch, and you're going to have it in the physical world regardless. It's not a choice not to have it in the physical world. Um, and the, so could there be some useful things? Yes. Are they, um, are they going to be, is the problem solved? No, I don't think so. Am I glad people are doing experiments? Yes, I am. I'm really glad people are doing experiments. Okay, I think I am going to wrap here. This has been a long time, or on exactly two hours so I want to keep it to some reasonable length. The next session will be on Thursday, 1.30 Eastern time. Nick Metaverse needs to post, but I think that's right. There's going to play the interview Q&A discussion I had with Argo, and then at 3 p.m. Eastern time, Argo will log in, and we can ask any questions. I'm not going to ask in questions because I spent an hour and a half asking questions on Monday. So you'll have a chance to ask any questions. And then, 415690 to sync our schedule. So we do that as well. And with that, we will, we will then also finalize anything in the presentation, minted, etc. The unit team is making some progress thinking about how minting going to work, how displaying of is going to work. I'll let them announce when they're ready, but it seems like progress is being made. My guess is another week or two, and we'll have the process uh, down uh, Down pat. So thank you, everyone, once again. Uh, it was a pleasure, and we'll see you in a couple of days.